why are you here? You say, well, my parents made me come, or somebody drugged me here, or I'm trying to get on God's good side. No, why are you on planet Earth? Why were you created? Thanks for tuning in to the Putnam City Baptist Church podcast. Our 2019 theme is making disciples as we help our community know God, become family, and impact the world. We hope this message encourages you wherever you might be. If you'd like to learn more about PCBC, visit us online at pcbc.tv. Now, here's Pastor Bill. Oh, discipleship at its finest hour. For those of you who are wondering what kind of sermon bumper is that, that was the winning video of the winning team. If you're a part of that winning disciple now home, would you stand so we could pray for you right now? Stand. Where are you? Where are these people? There's one. Where's the rest of them? We're still praying for you whether you stand up or not. Help me, Rhonda. That's unbelievable. If you have your Bibles, turn not to Romans yet. Turn to Colossians chapter 1. Why are you here? You say, well, my parents made me come, or somebody drugged me here, or I'm trying to get on God's good side. No, why are you on planet Earth? Why were you created? Well, Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 gives us a clue, and it speaks of an eternal perspective. And in Colossians 1, 16, it says, it was for, for by him all things were created, all things. All things would include, by the way, you and me. We were created. We just didn't happen. We just didn't kind of um, uh, kind of mutate out of some kind of oozy goozy stuff and just become human beings. We were created by Him. Everything in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him. There's not a period there, it goes on. I want you to underline that last phrase. All things were created through Him, but look at the last part of that. We were created for Him. God has a divine purpose for your life. Whether you want to admit that, realize that, believe that or not, it is true. You have a creator, and he created you for a divine purpose. He created you to bring glory and honor to him and to know him in relationship. Now, what if I told you that everyone here would experience eternity? There is some theology called universalism that everybody's going to heaven, there's even a movie, All Dogs Go to Heaven. I don't remember the one about cats, but there was one about dogs. And there's this universal thought, we're all going to get to heaven. I'm not saying that all will get to heaven, but I am saying all will experience eternity. That's not the question whether we will experience eternity or not. What we're going to see in Romans today is, what will you experience in eternity? And so as we dig into that subject... Paul has been addressing the reality. He has had to speak in his day like we need to speak in our day and addressing the misconception of what eternity will be real for each and every person. In chapter 1, we dug in, and Paul begins, and he's talking to an audience in Rome who thinks that they are the most enlightened people on the planet. If you remember, if you know much about human history, Rome, they are living in this uh, day of enlightenment and logic and the philosophers and reasoning, and they were a very sophisticated society for their time. We live in a day and age where there is more knowledge, there has been more advancement than any other time in human history. And we could wake up like modern Rome and think, well, we have arrived, and we're better people, doing better things, and so everything's okay. The Apostle Paul digs in, and we saw in chapter 1, he digs in on the easy audience. And those were the ones that were sold out into immorality, unrighteousness. 
They have dedicated their lives to all kinds of, uh, of unholy things, and it's all listed out in Romans chapter 1. And as the audience, many in Rome are looking in, and they're listening in, and they're saying, yeah, yeah, those people, they are destined for separation from a holy God. They are the sinners of the world. Now we get to Romans chapter 2, and Paul says, before you start feeling so good about your position, know that you may have issues as well. And so as we dig in, he's going to say there are three categories of people. Chapter 1, we've got three aisles this morning, and I'm not dedicating this to be the unrighteous crowd, but this aisle could represent those who took that path. The path of unrighteousness, immorality, and doing everything under the sun that they wanted to do. And then he comes over in chapter 2 and he says, but there's another way, another path that people take, just like this aisle here, and they take the path of self-righteousness, the path of religion, and the idea that if I am a religious person, if I'm a good person, if I'm not doing that, then that is better and I have a ticket to heaven. Paul is going to address those two paths and say that path will come under the judgment of God and that path will come under the judgment of God. You say, whoa, 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 wake it up. Whoa, whoa, whoa. How are religious people, self-righteous people, on the same destination as the unrighteous folks? Because both will die in their sin. Joining a church doesn't fix it. Becoming more religious Building a resume where your good outweighs the bad doesn't fix it. But there is this path. And Jesus came to this earth and he declared truth and he said this. I am the way. I am the truth. I'm not another truth. I'm not just a new religion on the scene. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father except through me. You can't get there through religion. And you can't get there just... Because you are a creation of God and die in unrighteousness, these two paths lead to a righteous judgment. And what we're going to see today is, yes, all will experience eternity. Some will experience eternal life. Some will experience a different reality. We read about it, Revelation chapter 20. If you're already in Romans, just hold your place there. Or you can look on the screen, Revelation 20 and verse 14. The Bible says, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And we learn about the second death all the way back in the garden. At the very beginning, when man was created, we were created for life. God is the author of life. He's the life-giving God. When he created man and placed him in the garden, he said to Adam and Eve, don't eat from this tree, for the day you eat from this tree, you will surely die. And so we see that whole struggle that happens there in the garden. We see the enemy coming along, lying, the father of all lies, beginning his lies there with Adam and Eve. And he whispers in their ear and he says, come on, surely you're not going to believe that. Surely you understand God's just trying to scare you and keep you in a box. If God is the life giver, he's not going to kill you. You're not going to die. You won't die they listened to that lie because it was desirable. And they chose this path over here, unrighteousness. And when they chose that path, and when they ate from the fruit, did they die? We've talked about this before. Yes and no. They did not die physically. They died spiritually. 
And all of a sudden, they were naked. They lost the holiness of God over their life. What I believe was the Shekinah glory, that was their covering. And now it was gone. And they died in that moment. God said, if you eat from it, you will die. They did. They would die later, physical death. That's the first death. The second death is spiritual death. Then they tried to fix it. You remember the fig leaf theology? Well, now I just got to cover it up. I got to fix it. I got to do something. I got to cover my nakedness. And so they sewed up some clothes out of fig leaves and they tried to become righteous before God. They tried this path. If you go back, God had to fix it. He had to fix the mess that happened on that path. And then he had to override the mess of this self-righteous path. And an innocent lamb was slain there in the garden. And they were covered with a blood sacrifice, the fur of an innocent substitute. It's the gospel. It's a picture of Jesus. And so we can't get there just because we're a creation of God, and we can't get there because we're a religious creation of God. We can only get there if we're a new creature in Christ. And that's the whole argument that Paul is bringing here. Know that there is a second death. Yes, it will be eternal. And yes, it will be that reality. And there are some who have eternal life. There are those that die without a Savior and have a second death. Who are these people? Look at verse 15. For if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And what we find in verse 15 is there are those who came to realize this didn't work and this didn't work. And only Christ can save me. And when you come to that place in your life where you trust him and him alone for your salvation, and you do what we saw witnessed in believers' baptism. They were saying, I believe Jesus died for me, was buried in a tomb, and rose again from the dead, and the only way I can have new life is to have that Jesus, that living one, in my heart. And on that moment when you make that profession of faith, in that moment when you trust him and believe in your heart, your name is written in the book of life. I believe it's written in crimson red. I believe it's written there in the blood of the substitute, Jesus Christ. The one who hung on a cross, the one who was crucified, the one who hung midway between earth and heaven, who was a bridge between sinful man and a holy God, the one who knew no sin would have all of the sin of the world piled on him. And just like that innocent lamb in the garden that died so that its skin could cover Adam and Eve, it would be a picture of Calvary. That Jesus would have his flesh ripped. An innocent man would die for the guilty. It's the Lamb of God that took my sin away. I thought when I started going to church with Cammie that that was going to fix it, that all of a sudden, instead of going to parties, I was going to a Baptist church. Surely that was good enough for God. But I was still falling short of the glory of God because I did not have a Savior. So Paul's going to jump into this. Now we're in Romans. Go back to Romans 2, and let's look at verse 5. And what we find, Paul is going to say, you have to either realize that the, your sin has been paid for through Christ, or you can try to pay it on your own. And when you go out into eternity without your sins having been paid for, you will pay a price. Look at verse 5. He's now addressing 
this audience. In verse, or chapters 1, he had talked about the immoral people of this world who were just hell-bent and hell-bound. They were, they were committed to their unrighteousness and their immorality, and they could care less about the morality of God, the holiness of God. In chapter 2, he says, and then there are those of you who think through your self-righteousness you're okay with God. But look at what he says in verse 5. But because of your stubbornness, your unrepentant heart, notice he wasn't speaking to this. He now he speaks to those who think they're safe because they were pretty good people. They were not like those people. But Paul says, you still have your own issues. You have a stubbornness in your heart. You have an unrepentant heart. And you are storing up for yourselves wrath in the day of wrath and the revelation of righteous judgment of God. Verse 5 says, oh, here comes one of them Baptist preachers with hellfire and brimstone. Here comes one of them judgmental sermons, the judgment of God. And your parents and grandparents, they grew up under that kind of preaching. Everybody was deserving of the judgment of God and God was just waiting to just uh, fill up hell with all you sinners. The judgment of God and that's all they heard preached. That's not what Paul was speaking of. Look at the last part. He speaks of righteous judgment. The enemy wants you, wants you to hear just the word judgment. Paul points out, no, it is a righteous judgment. Some argue that a loving God would never send anyone to hell. Paul is going to argue here that God's righteous judgment validates that our sin and our self-righteousness is what sends us to hell. He's already made a way. The righteous judge has already made a way for you to have eternal life, but if you choose these other two paths, that's on you. God doesn't send them to hell. Our sin sends us to hell. We reject his revelation or we choose not to repent. That's on us. But God so loved you, he made a way. But everybody wants justice. Paul was addressing this audience that said, well, you know what? Love what you're preaching, Paul. Preach at them immoral people. Get on them. Get on all them sexual perverts. Get on all that stuff over here. Get on all that rebellion. Get them, get them, get them. And everybody wants justice as long as it's not justice for us. I'll share with you a couple of crazy cases last week, found even better this week. This is unbelievable. True story. This actually happened. A man sued his wife. Well, that happens. Usually it's for divorce or something of some nature. But this man sued his wife because she gave him an ugly baby. I'm not making it up. And here's what's even crazier. He won the case. Yeah, yeah, you say, how's that happen? Okay, here's the real deal. 2012, a man took his wife to court. She gave birth to him, she, his first child, a daughter. He looked at her, and she was so ugly. He said, what have you done to me? He sued her thinking she had had an affair. No way he could have an ugly baby like that. As the case progressed, as he sued his wife in court, it proved it was his DNA. He was halfway responsible for this situation. <laughs> but how do you win a case when you're guilty? It was proven in discovery that before he had met his wife, his wife had had $80,000 of plastic surgery, 
to change her ugliness and had deceived him into who she really was. The judge gave him 100000 for the bait and switch, and I am not lying. That literally happened in court. Can you imagine? And no, it wasn't my dad, all right? Don't go there. Rude. Guinness Book of World Records. They posted uh, a new record had been established by Jonathan Lee Riches. Pretty appropriate name for this guy. Uh, Riches, who just happened to be an inmate at the time, was declared the most litigious man on earth. That means he was the most, uh, he had filed the most lawsuits in all of human history. They claimed that he had filed over 5,500 lawsuits. He sued uh, Stevie Wonder. He sued all kinds of people. He had all these different lawsuits. The dude was crazy. And he added another lawsuit to the record because he sued the Guinness Book of World Records. And he said, you did not quote the facts. It was not 5,500 cases. He admitted to 4,000 lawsuits, now 4,001. Whatever it was, he just wanted justice. The man who sued his wife just wanted justice. We look at those and we think, how ridiculous. And yet we can look over here at those who think that their religion is going to save them from God's just judgment. And those who would declare, man, give them justice, give them justice, give them justice. Folks, can I say this? There's not a person in this room that wants the justice of God. For all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. Those who have sold out to unrighteous things, and even those who think that they're righteous because they have a religion, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Justice, God would be very just. He would have been very just to say, okay, I gave you away, I gave you paradise, you blew it, it's on you. But God so loved you, he gave his only begotten son. And God, a just God, a righteous God, who could have said, you're now unholy, enter into hell, sent his son. And his son entered into this hell, this hell here on earth, because of your sin and because of mine. And that very Jesus bore the wrath of God in his body. He became that lamb, that lamb that would lose his skin. His body would be broken, his blood would be shed so that we might be covered with the righteousness of our substitute. You see, my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, not because I joined a Baptist church and I'm on a Baptist Sunday school roll. My name is in the Lamb's Book of Life because there was a day where I declared, I am not righteous. I have sinned against you, God, and you alone, and I deserve your judgment. But Lord, I turn to your Son, I turn to the Savior, and Lord, I receive you into my life. I believed in my heart, and on that day, I became a brand new person, and on that day, my name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Not because of anything that I have done, but because I look to what He has done. There are those that may hear this revealed truth and respond like verse 5. Look at it again, verse 5. 
but because of your stubbornness, you have unrepentant hearts. That word stubbornness there in the Greek actually is the Greek word sklerotis, sklerotis. Now that may sound like a neat little term, neat little cute little Greek word, but it is a brutal word. It speaks of hardness. It's where we get the word uh, sclerosis. If you know what sclerosis does to a body, it ravages the spine and the brain. It, it, it hardens all these tissues and it cripples. That's where we get our word sclerosis. And Paul was speaking, not over here, but to this group, these people that had been around religion, these people who were trying to be self-righteous, and he says, you have an issue. You have spiritual sclerosis. You are so hardened in your religion, in your self-righteousness, that you can't see it. You need a Savior. Drop down to Romans 2.16. He says, a day is coming, a day of judgment. In verse 16, he confirms that again. He says, this will take place on the day. Speaking of the judgment day of God, the righteous judgment being declared. When God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. We see here there is a day coming, there is a day that has been set, and a righteous judgment. There will be this day, judgment day, the white throne judgment, and all of men's secrets will be revealed. Now, all of men outside of Christ. Those who are in Christ, your sins have already been judged on a cross. The price was paid. Jesus paid it in full. He died for your sins and mine. And in that moment, my sins were paid for. The price had been paid. And I placed my faith in that payment. And then my name was moved over into the book of life because my debt had been paid. Not by what I did, but by what Jesus did. But those who go out into eternity, and there will be many, and I think there will be just as many, if not more, on this path than we're on that path, who will declare before God, I was a good religious guy. And remember what we saw in Matthew 7? Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. The secret will be revealed. Just as it was in the life of Judas. Judas, one of the twelve, Looked like a disciple. Looked like he was safe with God. I mean, God trusted him with his money, with the treasury. Who else should get it but the most trustworthy? Judas was this spiritual-looking guy. Most of the disciples wanted to be like Judas. He looked the part. He played the part. But he had never been transformed. We've talked about it before, but you remember when the alabaster vial of perfume was poured out on Jesus and and the disciples were stunned. I mean, a whole year's worth of wages was poured out on Jesus. And it was Judas who stood up and said, Whoa, whoa! Do you know how many poor people this could have helped? We could have changed the world with this gift. And all the disciples were like, Man, he loves God. He loves people. That, why can't I be like Judas? Why can't I care like that? I didn't even think about that. Judas looked like a team player. He looked like he was right with God, and yet we know he was a son of perdition. He had never been changed, and that was revealed in the end. Paul says the same will be true here. There will be those who had a secret. Their heart had never been surrendered, and it will be revealed in that moment through God's righteous judgment. So go back to verse 6. Back up again. 
Verse 6, let's see the context. Let's see about this righteous judgment. Here's what we learn, verse 6. This God of righteous judgment who will render to each person according to his deeds. Four facts here, very quickly. Number one, all will be judged. Now, let me quantify. All outside of Christ will be judged. Those who die in their sin, all will be judged according to their deeds. Number two, all will be righteously judged. Number three, all will be impartially judged. It's interesting that he's going to go on to say it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. He could say if he was living this day, it doesn't matter if you're Baptist, Methodist, Catholic, none of the above. Doesn't matter what your political persuasion is, what your denomination might be, whether you're religious or non-religious, doesn't matter. All will be impartially judged according to their deeds, because that's how they went into eternity. They took their last breath, they said, I'm going to bank on what I've done. Number four, you need to realize not all will be judged the same. What do I mean by that? Well, look at verse 7. He says, there are those who by perseverance and doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality, and they get eternal life. And when you read that verse, there's, a, there's an easy place to stop and say, well, that sure looks like if I'm good enough, if I'm seeking God, if I woke up early on Sunday when all the rest of my friends slept in, if I went to camp, if I got baptized, if I do this or that or this or that, if my good outweighs my bad, it says here I get eternal life. I did good. That's not what Paul's saying here. You have to understand this letter is written later in Paul's ministry. These three terms that should stick out to you, I want you to go back in verse 7. Circle the word glory, circle the word honor, and circle the word immortality. When he uses those phraseologies, he has taught the church before about all three of those things. In Romans chapter 8, he'll teach him about the glorified state. It speaks of those who are in Christ, those who were predestined, and that's a whole other sermon series that you can go get on the internet that I've preached on before, what that really means, how he predestined the way of salvation, and those who are the elect or those who respond to that predestined way. You can go read or hear about that. But these are people who are in Christ. He says not only does he justify them, but he glorifies them. That means when we leave this earth and we go into heaven, we get a serious upgrade. Glorified physically, glorified uh, psychologically in our soul, and then glorified spirit. We are the full, we return back to our original state without sin. Glory be. This old body's wearing me out. Ready for that. And that only comes to those who are in Christ. He speaks of honor versus dishonor in his epistles. The dishonorable are those who are in their sin. Those who are of honor are those who have placed themselves in Christ. They are now the children of God. When it speaks of immortality, immortality comes according to 1 Corinthians 15, another letter that Paul wrote, that says that those who are in Christ, when we die, the first death, this mortality puts on what? Immortality, eternal life. Not because we did good, but because we repented and we received Christ, and that is the hope. We are now His children. We're of new DNA, and that's our inheritance. So in verse 7, he's saying there are those who have eternal life, 
and they are the ones who are in Christ. Their good, their good was this, they realized they were bad. Their good is they realized they couldn't save themselves, and they have a Savior, and He will give them glory, He will give them honor, and immortality. So that is not speaking of works getting into heaven. It speaks of the good work Christ did, and these folks will have eternal life. But, it goes on to verse 8, but to others, those who aren't in Christ, to those who are selfishly ambitious, who do not obey the truth, that's all those outside of Christ, but those who obey unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation, there will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does this kind of evil, of the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good, to the Jew first and then to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. So Paul reminds them that there is righteous judgment. There are those who have experienced the righteous judgment of God that was poured out on the cross that the substitute took upon himself, and all those who are in Christ, they have now had their sins judged. That has been paid, and when they appear in eternity, Jesus will step up and say, Father, these are the ones written in the Lamb's book of life. Their debt has been paid. And then there will be another set of books that will be opened on Judgment Day, and it will be filled with the deeds of men. And there will be people who appear before God, and think about this, this is crazy. They appear before a holy, flawless, perfect God and they'll try to convince him that they are holy. And, they'll get and so he'll let them plead their case, as any judge should. Plead your case, Lord. Bill Hulse. That ought to work, right? Uh, you need more? Okay. Um, Baptist preacher. Oh, you need more? Um, uh, uh, Faithfully attended church since 1981. Any more? Um, quit going to parties most of the time and then all the time. Need more? Not enough? And we'll present a resume as if our good outweighs our bad and God say, wow, way to clean it up, good job. Guess I never should have sent my son. Doesn't work. Our righteousness, as we've said, is like filthy rags. And he will let you plead that case. And he said there'd be many who plead that case out of their books, out of their deeds, and he'll say, I hear you. I know you did a bunch of good stuff. I knew you were religious. That's awesome. That's... But depart from me, not because you didn't do enough. Why did he say depart from me? I never knew you. It has nothing to do with what we do. It has nothing to do with our resume. It has to do with knowing God as Savior, as Lord, as my God. Not just the God. It's relationship. You see, salvation is not an issue of our works. It is a birth issue. I was physically born. I have a mom and a dad. I was spiritually born again because I have a heavenly father. Not because I joined a church, not because I preach, but because I have a Savior. And I guess the question that is kind of floating around in this space is this. Which book are you going to bank on? Has your name been written in the Lamb's book of life? 
Has there been a time where you said, I am hopeless and I am helpless, and before a holy God, I have no hope. But God so loved me, he sent his son, and God so loved me while I was a sinner, he died in my place. And I need that. Lord Jesus, I receive you into my heart. And in that moment, the Bible says you become a new creature, a new creation. Not just physically birthed, but now spiritually birthed. Two births mean one death. I will taste physical death unless Jesus returns before. I will go the way of all who've lived on this planet. I will die. But I believe what Jesus said to Martha. He appeared at the funeral of Lazarus. Martha was mourning and hurting. Her brother was dead, done. And Jesus said to Martha, Martha, listen to me. I am the resurrection. I'm the resurrection. I am the life. And he who believes in me, even though he dies, he will forever live. Do you believe this? And what Jesus was saying is, even though you might taste physical death, if you have been born a second time, you will have eternal life. You will live forever and ever and ever in the presence of a holy God. But we have to also understand If we've only been born once, if all we've been born is physically, we inherit from Adam and Eve spiritual death. And when we die in our sin, there will be a second death, according to Revelation 20, a permanency, a total eternal death, separated from the love and the holiness of God, not because he wants to send you to hell, but because you chose to remain in your sin. That's on you. That's not on him. He did everything so we could have life and have a godly life. The question is, are you in the Lamb's book of life? Are you banking on your deeds, your choice? Let's pray together. With every head bowed and every eye closed. There's a lot more here we didn't get to, but the reality is this. He'd go on to say, your conscience and your conduct and your character, they all condemn you. They all speak to the reality that your deeds fall way short of the holiness of God. You need a Savior. And there are many in this room, you've made that life-changing decision. Just like you saw the two today witnessing that they have a new life in Christ, you've made that same life-changing commitment. You have a Savior. Thank God for it right now. There could be many in this room who showed up at church thinking that if I'm at church, if I'm doing church, that's good enough. At least I'm not doing what I used to do. Surely that will show God I'm worthy of his love. I pray in eternity you wouldn't hear the words, depart from me, because I never knew you. Because you see, Jesus made it possible for you to know him and have a relationship with him. His son... His only begotten Son. The wrath of God was poured out on Jesus, our substitute. That whoever would believe in Him, to them He would give the right to become a child of God. A second birth. And because of that second birth, they missed the second death. Has that ever happened for you? You say, well, I'm a member of a church. I've I've even been baptized when I was young. Those things don't save you. 
We get baptized because we have been saved, not to save us. So maybe all of a sudden you realize either your unrighteousness or your self-righteousness separates you from a holy God. And maybe today the Holy Spirit said, today's the day of your salvation. You need to be saved. The Bible says it's not by our works that we're saved. It's a grace gift. God's grace in the form of a gift, Jesus. He gave his gift. He gave us his son to be a substitute for my sin. That gift was the most expensive gift ever purchased for man. It meant the life of Jesus. He died for me. The wages of sin is death. He became that payment. He paid it in full. So my debt, my debt to a holy God has been paid, not by me, but by Jesus. I'm in the Lamb's book of life. Are you? If your name's not written there today, you can nail it down. Our staff will be here if they'll just make their way to the front right now. They're going to be standing here. When we stand, you ought to come running down to them and say, man, I want to make sure. I want to know without a shadow of a doubt, I'm right with God and my name's in the Lamb's book of life. They'll pray with you. They'll, they'll, they'll show you scripture. They'll answer questions if you have them or if you just know, they'll pray with you right here. You ought to be the first to come. There could be others. You're clinging to a stubborn, hardened heart. And I'm going to give the Holy Spirit some time this morning for God to break that down. And even if we appear to have closed an invitation and we're still singing, if God speaks to your hard heart, our ministers will still be sitting here on the front row. You come to them and say, man, I need to get right. I need to deal with God. You come. If you need a church family, we'd love to be your church family. If you need prayer, we want to pray with you. So let me do that now. Spirit of God, do what you do. Draw us to Christ. Convict us of our sin. Speak truth to our hearts. Give us the courage to release the stubbornness of our heart, to repent from the heart, and give you our life. God, I pray for salvation in this very moment. I pray that there might be many saved in this space or those who are worshiping with us online. God, pour out your salvation from heaven. God, I also pray that you would pour out conviction. Provide repentance. Be the God of grace and forgiveness now. We're asking in Jesus' name. Thank you for spending time with our church family. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, visit us online at pcbc.tv. There you can also contact us and find out how to connect with us through social media channels. And visit pcbc.tv podcast to listen to additional messages from Putnam City Baptist Church.